This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, I'm Matt Chorley and this is Politics Without the Boring Bits. Coming up today, what is a Conservative? No one can seem to decide. Is Rishi Sunak a Conservative? Is Liz Truss a Conservative? Is Nigel Farage a Conservative? We'll try to find out. And on this week's How to Win an Election podcast, is the prospect of a coalition massively underpriced? Peter Manson thinks so. We'll have a little snippet of it for you. And don't forget, if you like what you hear on the podcast, you can listen to me with politics without the boring bits on Times Radio, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. That's politics without the boring bits. Weekdays from 10. I've done it. It's over. How do you like your eggs in the morning? Uh, an omelette at about six this morning. Boiled or fried? I'm satisfied. No, it was an, it was an omelette at half past six this morning. I broke my 36-hour Rishi Sunak-style fast. Actually, so it was like 37 and a half hours. That's what all that means. Uh, and an omelette. Bit of cheese, yeah. No ham. We didn't have any ham in the house. Uh, we didn't have any bacon either, so it was... It was it, <laughs> Lucky we had a couple of eggs, to be honest. Last couple of eggs in the house. Uh, it, to be honest, after the show yesterday, it was tough. I went and had, went to the canteen uh, with the team who piled up their plates. There was an awful lot of food on their plates. More than usual, I felt. Uh, a lot of chips as well. Uh, and then the afternoon rolled on. There was doing quite a lot of recording and things yesterday afternoon. And, sort of the afternoon went on. and then when I got to Waterloo, all the trains were cancelled. And uh, so I had to kill... T- the only thing I could do to kill time was just walk around WH Smith looking angrily at some mini-eggs. Uh, and then when I got on the train, all I could really... I could smell everything. Pasties, coffee, chocolate. There was even a bloke drinking a beer on the train. I thought, I'm sure I can smell the beer. Uh, and then when I got off the train, I felt a bit weird and light-headed. But that might have had something to do with the bloke outside the train station. It, it was... I mean, a man who was old enough to know better, smoking quite a strong strain of the doobie. That's <coughs> Hampshire for you. Uh, so I, you know, celebrated with a glass of water last night. But uh, in case you wonder what all this was about, Rishi Sunak uh, has been talking to the BBC about the fact that everyone is obsessed with his 36-hour fast. 
I'm not sure people are that interested in my diet, but I I I I, uh, I, I tend to try and do some fasting um, at the beginning of every week as as part of a, a general balanced lifestyle. But everyone will do this differently. And yeah, we'll do it once. Is what we're going to do. Everyone will do it once. I could do 24 hours ago, but not 36. Derek's been in touch. Yay, I've done a Rishi. I'm now sitting in front of a freshly baked croissant. It is National Croissant Day. They've been advertising that for ages in the canteen. Salivating and ready to go. You get stuck in, Derek. You get stuck in. Right, as we always do on a Tuesday, we bring you a taster of the How to Win an Election podcast. For the full episode, search wherever you're listening to this. But here is a little snippet. This week, we were talking about how to negotiate a coalition. Polly McKenzie was great on taking us inside the room of when the 2010 coalition was negotiated. Oliver Letwin brought the best snacks, apparently. But Peter Mandelson, who was in the room for those negotiations in 2010, warns today's Labour Party that the prospect of a hung parliament and possible coalition talks is underpriced. I think people are not pricing in sufficiently uh, the possibility that Labour may fall somewhat below uh, the result that the opinion polls are currently indicating uh, they will obtain. Uh, th- these are these are these are artificial. Uh, this is an artificial lead. Believe me, it's going to it's going to uh, contract. Uh, and if you consider the swing that is required. Uh, by Labour to get an overall majority uh, at the election is something like 11 or 12 percent. 12.7. This this is huge. And so I think that we we should, I think, well, to be honest, I think there are some in my own party, there are also the Liberal Democrats who should be just thinking. uh, Well, should they uh, be doing, should should Starmer's team be doing some of the work that the Oliver Letwins and David Cameron's had done? At least think having it as an option in the draw, preparing for the possibility of a coalition. I must say, I think that the likelihood of a, of a formal coalition is is small. I think you're more likely to see the sort of arrangement that emerged following the uh, 1974 elections, which Danny referred to uh, earlier. Um, um, Jeremy Thorpe chose not uh, to prop up uh, uh, Ted Heath and his government because he thought that that government had been rejected mm. Uh, by the electorate in February 74, but the electorate had also showed that they were unsure about Labour. Mm. They were not confident about ushering in a majority Labour government, and that was the result uh, uh, that was reflected in that sort of rather nuanced state of public uh, opinion. By the way, I think in 2010, just as the public uh, rejected Labour and Gordon Brown, they were equally unsure about the Conservatives. They weren't completely convinced about uh, Cameron uh, and Osborne. And, you know, the electorate shows an uncanny knack of sort of getting the result that it sort of wants. And that's where the Liberal Democrats uh, come into play. And what you might find this year is if Labour falls back from its current lead, if Labour fails to um, uh, maintain its present momentum and political appeal, you may find the Liberal Democrats doing better than expected uh, and the a result is somewhat more ambivalent uh, in, in reality than, it, than the opinion polls are currently suggesting. Polly, so what would you... If Peter's saying that Labour should at least think about it, should the Lib Dems be doing the same thing? I'm, I'm sure they are, uh, but... It depends, really, how the Labour Party is thinking. If you're t- thinking in grand, kind of hegemonic historical terms, then sure finding a way to coalesce Liberal Democrats and Greens into a kind of centre-left movement 
post-election would probably be a good idea. I don't think the Labour Party is thinking in that way. And of course, that's the opposite to what the Liberal Democrats would probably ask for, which is some kind of electoral reform. The, the Labour Party, we have to assume there will be a chunk of SNP MPs, maybe not quite as many, but a chunk. And they have said that they will not support Conservative government. And that means that the path for Labour to just sort of bulldoze through as a minority is is pretty clear, it's and it's the path yeah. of least resistance. Yeah. The Labour uh, Liberal Democrats will not constrain a Labour government. No. They will do the opposite of that. The, the, their critique will entirely be the Labour Party has not gone far enough on green politics, it's not gone far enough on whatever it wants to do on the Constitution, it's not spent enough in certain areas Areas, it will it will be the opposite. If people are thinking, well, you know, we, we're worried about a Labour government becoming too left-wing. I don't think they are worried about that, actually, by the way, but I think if they were, um, and the Liberal Democrats will constrain it because they're the centre party, that is not the dynamic. Actually, the Liberal Democrats... At the moment, you can hold the view of the Liberal Democrats, official view, and be a member of the shadow cabinet or cabinet, but insofar as as a separate party, they ex- have any always be to pull the Labour Party to the left. And if you want to hear the full episode of How to Win an Election, just search wherever you're listening to this. Up next, what is a Conservative? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. The Big Thing. Defining conservatism is undoubtedly a challenge. As a conservative... I'm a conservative. Then I became a conservative and absolutely loved it. What we need, loving each other uh, as conservatives. The truth and power of conservative ideas. People need to hear those conservative arguments again. Sound money is the most conservative of conservative values. I am What does it mean to be a Conservative? Does it mean small state, low tax, the party of business and the party of preserving traditions? Or is it the party of levelling up, using big government to build infrastructure and create jobs? Or are they the people who blow everything up with Brexit and tearing up institutions? Libertarian, patrician, one nation. 
One reason, of course, they've been so successful over the years is the ability to reinvent themselves. But right now, it looks a bit unsure where they're going to go next. So today, we want to take a look at what is a Conservative? The latest question to divide the Tories is, are they a party for banning things or are they people who want to ban people banning things? Rishi Sunak right now started a whole new row with his colleagues over banning vapes. Children shouldn't be vaping. We don't want them to get addicted. We still don't understand the full long-term health impacts of vaping. So it's right that we take strong action to stamp this out. That's what we're doing. Banning disposable vapes, taking powers to go after the flavours, the appearance, the packaging where vapes are displayed in stores, but also improving enforcement. But uh, the Prime Minister faces a showdown with some of his Conservative colleagues who oppose these nanny state measures, including the former Prime Minister, Liz Truss. She called the smoking ban profoundly unconservative. Well, this is what Rishi Sunak had to say about his predecessor's criticism. Well, I don't think there's anything unconservative about caring about our children's health. But on smoking, there's been a long tradition in Parliament of these being free votes, uh, which aren't party political. People will have their own held views on that. That's the same as it's been in the past. So I, re I respect that some people would disagree with me on this. But again, I think this is the right long-term thing for our country. Smoking causes one in four cancer deaths. It's responsible for a hospital admission every minute. And if we don't do something about it, hundreds of thousands of people will die in the coming years. So, is Liz Truss herself a Conservative? Here's the Sunday Times columnist and son of the former Conservative Chancellor, Nigel Lawson. This is Dominic Lawson. It's interesting, her point, that this is unconservative because she was actually a leading light when an undergraduate in the Liberal Democrats. And I remember that in 1917, one of her fellow Lib Dems recalled that she was very keen on legalising cannabis and had what he called a radical liberal streak. Was that conservative? And the answer is, well, no, she was a, a liberal. Well, Rishi Sunak is far from the only Tory in favour of so-called nanny state measures. Conservative MP Miriam Cates, seen by many as being on the right of the party, told me about why she wants to ban smartphones for children under the age of 16. Yeah, so I'm not a libertarian. I'm a conservative. And I think conservatives believe that there is a role for government and the state not to interfere in the lives of families and communities and parents. So we do not need the state to uh, teach children how to brush their teeth. Parents should be able to do that. But of course, communities and families can't defend against all threats. Well, after Miriam Cates spoke out, the former UKIP leader, obviously from Reform UK, Nigel Farage, took to Instagram to make clear what he thinks about Miriam Cates' ideas. So should under-16s be banned from using social media or having smartphones? How ridiculous, I hear you say. And yet, this was said by a Conservative Member of Parliament. Yep, you ought to be banned, not treated as grown-ups in any way at all, to have no access to a smartphone. The whole thing is ludicrous. I promise you one thing, folks, I would never do this to you. What he has done is teased the idea of joining the Conservative Party, saying never say never, at one point claiming he wouldn't be surprised if he was the leader of the Tories by 2026. That's Nigel Farage, currently the president of Reform UK. So what exactly is a Conservative? We'll speak to two self-identifying Conservatives in a moment. But first, I spoke to the leader of the Reform Party, Richard Tice. Those who 
vote Conservative are a, uh, I think, a dying breed is the honest answer. And they're essentially voting for social democracy. And that's why former Conservative voters who are real Conservatives, who believe in the philosophy of Conservatism, are now deciding to vote for reform. That's voting for lower taxes, individual responsibility, small state, law and order, and smart immigration as opposed to mass immigration. Those are sort of the traditional conservative values that have been abandoned by the Conservative Party. So that's why, in a sense, reform is now going up in the polls so much. Is... Because I, suppose, I, I take your point, that's a sort of quite traditional conservative view, small state, low taxes. Do you think that public opinion has shifted in as much as, you know, Boris Johnson bluntly won in 2019, he reached into those red wall seats with the promise of quite big state. It was more hospitals, it was more teachers, it was more police officers. It was the promise, some people might say it's the moon on a oh, stick, no, it's the, the promise of a bigger state. No, what it was the promise of was a dynamic high-growth economy, taking advantage of the opportunities of Brexit to cut taxes, cut unnecessary regulation, get more growth. And with more growth, you get more tax revenues to invest in efficient public services. But all of that, basically, they abandoned through a combination of incompetence, slightly distracted by COVID, and the fundamental point that actually most of the Conservative MPs, the majority of them, are not traditional real Conservatives. They're actually social Democrats, and that's what the party's become. And that's why there's such a disconnect between the the traditional Conservative voter compared to uh, those who occupy uh, seats as Conservative MPs. How do you square the, the, the clear public antipathy, anger, if you like, at the state of the state? Huge long waiting lists, crumbling concrete in schools, the court system is in crisis, people can't get on uh, the housing ladder because there aren't enough homes, people living in mouldy, rented accommodation. How do you square all of that with your pitch being, actually, we want less government? Aren't people crying out for more government, actually? No, absolutely the opposite. No, the proof is in the pudding. You've only got to look at the fact that 20 years ago, the state was £1 in three of the economy and the place worked. It wasn't broken, it was relatively efficient, we had relatively high growth, and now the state is spending just under one pound in two, and the place is broken. And that is absolutely the proof that the state is bad at managing things, and there is huge, grotesque waste and inefficiency within the state, within the civil service, within the public sector. Productivity has absolutely collapsed. So that simply proves my point. What you need is efficient government not large, wasteful government. If that were the case, that that's where the public are rather than where your, your party is, why is it that the Labour Party are on 47%, actually more than you and the Conservatives added together? Very simple. We live in basically a two-party, almost like sort of state uh, monopoly. So for many people who are utterly and completely, like me, furious, with what the Conservative Party has done to breaking Britain. Uh, their traditional default is, well, I only know of a two-party system, so that means I must, I must say Labour. All that being the case then, why is Nigel Farage, your president, uh, and for many people the most well-known person in reform, constantly flirting with joining the Conservative Party? He's not flirting with joining them, he's teasing them, he's winding them up, and... Frankly, they're so dumb at the moment. He said, he so, said in October, so I'd be no, 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 very lacking. surprised. 
He said, I'd be very surprised if I were not Conservative leader by 2026. Very surprised, he said. You've fallen for the tease, uh, like many others. Look, the reality is the Tories are so lacking in principles and vision, they're just flailing around. And uh, Nigel is a reformer. He's furious, like all of us, at what's happened to the country. Yeah, he's he's absolutely aghast at uh, how bad the country is being run. Look, fundamental reform is needed. Just on, on a final, and this is, a, you know, a nerdy point, but it's the thing we try to sort of uh, grope towards. Surely not, Matt. What is, that you've got, you've got you know, the, the tension then between conservatism, sort of a, a patrician conservatism, and a libertarian political position. Miriam Cates, who lots of people say is on the right of the Conservative Party, she was advocating last week she wanted to ban under-16s having mobile phones. Nigel Farage actually was one of those who came out and condemned her for that. Is it that the Conservative Party is has moved, or is it just that those those two things have, have coexisted alongside each other and it's just currently you're the carrier of the flag of one in the Conservative Party, which is more enthusiastic about bans and state intervention, is, is the one that's currently in, in government? Or, is there ever a way of bringing those two things together? Look, the, the current Conservative Party is actually... It, I've, I've termed them the con-socialists. They want high taxes, high wasteful state spending nanny state regulations, they're all over the place. They're utterly clueless, leaderless, visionless. They're a disaster. They're, fortunately, they're a dying breed. Uh, the brand is now toxic. And I think they're done for. I think we're living through the dying days, bluntly, of the last majority Conservative government in my lifetime. And that's a very good thing. So they're on the way out. You're on the way up. How many MPs would you have after the next election? Great question. The more who vote for us, then the bigger the number will be, Matt and onwards and upwards. How are you getting on with twisting Nigel Farage's arm to stand to run to be an MP for the eighth time? (laughs) That's a decision for Nigel, and he will make that decision in due course. He's obviously weighing that up as he speaks. We will see, but one thing is for sure, we're standing everywhere, 630 seats across England, Scotland and Wales. Everybody will get the chance to vote for reform. We are asking the question, what is a Conservative? Because no one can seem to decide. Uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, it says that he's a Conservative. Liz Truss says he's pursuing policies which aren't Conservative. Uh, the Reform UK party of Nigel Farage and Richard Tice say that they're representing old-style conservatism. Let's now hear from two more people who think they know what a Conservative is. Uh, Sir John Hayes is a Tory MP and former minister. Hi, John. Hi. And Dominic Grieve is former Conservative MP, former Attorney General. Uh, hi, Good Dominic. Morning. Good morning. Uh, good to have you with us. So, John, uh, nice straightforward question. For you, what is a Conservative? Well, the, the questions answered by Edmund Burke and Benjamin Israeli, being conservative is about believing that a collective wisdom of ages transmitted across generations, vested institutions like families, communities and the nation is always greater, more significant than the fads and fashions of any one generation at any point in time. And our duty is to take what we've inherited from those that came before us, add to it incrementally if we can, and pass it on for those to come. That's conservatism. Okay, Dominic, is there anything that you disagree with on that, or do you have a different definition I, of being a conservative? No, I don't disagree with that definition at all. But I would just add this, that is absolutely central to conservatism as a consequence, that we're respectful of the institutions that we have and that we've inherited. We're respectful of the rule of law, which absolutely underpins our country's prosperity. Uh, and we also uh, seek to further the common good to ensure that all people in our society can benefit. Uh, so 
that's the only rider I would uh, I would add to what John has said, and he may probably won't disagree with me about that either. Uh, Dominic, you uh, were thrown out of the Conservative Party um, when over Brexit, uh, which lots of people might think actually the pursuit of Brexit, throwing everything up in the air, breaking up institutions, not being totally clear where you're going, is a slightly unconservative thing to do. So, were you being the Conservative? Or was Boris Johnson being the Conservative at that moment? Well, I think I was being the Conservative. I rather agree with you. I think Brexit was a revolutionary act and very incautious. And it's not that you should never change things. But if you're going to bring about change as a Conservative, you have to think through the consequences. And those who promoted Brexit did not think through the consequences of what they were doing. And that's contributed to some of the problems we have today. It's also right to say that Boris Johnson threw me out of the Conservative Party because I opposed the prorogation of Parliament, which he was carrying out with the intention of trying to achieve a no-deal Brexit. The prorogation was unlawful, as we then discovered. It was also unconstitutional. And the intention to take us out with no deal was completely reckless. Not Conservative things to do at all. John? Well... Dominic's right about the common good, and Israeli talked about the elevation of the people. That's always been central to the Conservative mission. But the other thing is the national interest. Conservative is about our nation, our people, and unfortunately, supranational institutions like the European Union and others uh, have been invidious. Uh, and uh, because they have sat with, uh, in pursuit of their kind of uh, dreamlike uh, globalist goals, uh, we've sacrificed the national interest of the British people. So this is because of a gulf between the liberal elite and the and their preoccupations and the sentiments of ordinary, hard-working, patriotic Britons. And that was given life in the referendum when, uh, in the referendum, people said, we've had enough of this uh, liberal establishment dictating to us. We're going to say what we think, and we believe in our country and its future, not in these uh, supranational bodies. But John, isn't there something interesting about the Conservative Party, or at least part of it, mm. p- pitching itself against the establishment, against the elites, when the truth is the Conservative Party have dominated uh, <laughs> most national institutions and uh, the government for such a long time? To say that, that, that it was a, it was a sort of uprising against the 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 established elite, when you look yeah. at the fact that the Conservatives were the elite. They were running the country. They were part of those institutions. It's, it's, it's sort of, it, as a result, you're sort of eating yourselves. Well, not, no, because the, there was a big realignment. What, what the um, 16 referendum represented was a political realignment where the, where the, uh, the Brexit campaign support and uh, supplemented and indeed reinforced by the 19 general election meant that large sections of Britain who hadn't previously voted Conservative did. And um, and so what happened was the gulf between uh, a liberal left elite, uh, you see it in many of our institutions, the media is a good example, President Company accepted, of course, because you're a very even-handed and fair-minded man. Uh, but uh, the media is a good example were worlds apart from the preoccupations and sentiments of working people. And the Tory party's got to lean into that realignment and recognise it speaks for those hard-working, law-abiding patriots, uh, not for that uh, detached, privileged group of people who don't share their instincts. So is, is Rishi Sunak, by that definition, is Rishi Sunak a Conservative, John? 
Well, that's the question for him, not for me, isn't it? Well, um, do you think? Do you think he's living by your definition of a conservative? I think Rishi Sunak. I hope Rishi Sunak understands what I've just said. And no, I know, but John, it, do you think he's living by? Is he operating by what your definition of a of a conservative is? Well, let me t- tell you one good thing, one bad thing. So today, the, we've just issued a, a consultation on housing. And at last, what we're saying is that people in a locality that want social housing should have preference over so from outside. And by outside, I mean people largely from abroad. That's a very conservative thing to do. It reinforces people's sense of place. It reinforces family. It reinforces community. The government have just said that. I heard the minister this morning on the radio talking about it. Very sensible, very conservative. Uh, but but if you, if I then look at um, what we uh, what we're doing on immigration, I wanted the immigration bill strengthened, and I fought hard to do so. And and we put down amendments which will strengthen their ability to deal with illegal immigration. And by the way, we need to curb legal migration too. So in that area, the, the government needs to be more, not less, conservative. Uh, and Dominic uh, Grieve, where do you? Looking at the Conservative Party now, I mean, at various points, your sort of wing of the party has been in favour. I mean, it's, I'd argue it's sort of more out of favour now. Is it the case that Conservatives only win when they are more centrist, when they are, um, uh, you know, probably woolly, hand-wringing, liberal elite types? What's your assessment of, of, of where your wing of the Conservative Party is? It's, it's, it's not a question of being woolly, um, centrist elites. There are plenty of hardworking uh, patriots who supported Remain because they thought that Remain, were, that leaving was reckless, which is what it's turned out to be. And the Conservative Party, as a consequence at the moment, is shot to pieces. Uh, it's broken, essentially. Um, it has sought to anchor itself in a right-wing movement where it will not be able to hold power and will lose it and will lose it very badly at the next election. And it will only ever get back into office and power uh, if it moves back to the centre, which it has abandoned. Uh, And Rishi Sunak's problem is that although I think his instincts for moving back to the centre are quite good, he's being prevented from doing so uh, by quite a few of his colleagues, such as John. And I'm afraid that uh, whilst John and I agree on some philosophical aspects of conservatism, it's quite clear from listening to him that he he believes in pursuing policies, which I'm afraid I just think are a complete dead end. John? Well, I think it was Margaret Thatcher. It may have been Keith Joseph. So the trouble with standing in the middle of the road is you get run over. And, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that this kind of what you described as soggy centrism is not where the British people are. They want they but want John... a they want a government as they proved in 2019 when they elected a conservative government with a huge majority. This patriotic reason family, community, and nation. It's not that hard to work out. But John, you say the country doesn't want soggy centrists. Why is the Labour Party? I mean, they don't come much more soggy centrist than Keir Starmer on mm. uh, 42, 43, 45, 46, 47 percent more than the Conservative Party and Reform put together. Maybe that is what the country wants. No, because the, if you look at those polls in more detail, people are very uncertain about Labour, but they're frustrated by not having a, uh, what they perceive as a conservative enough option. Now, I think the Conservative Party still got an opportunity to be that option, but it needs to get its act together over the next uh, nine months. We need to deal with illegal immigration, crack down illegal migration, get tougher on public order and crime and punishment, and be a patriotic party that stands both for the common good 
and for the national interest. Well, tell you what, John and Dominic, stay there. John Hayes, uh, Conservative MP. Dominic Green, former Conservative MP. Let's bring in Scarlett Maguire, a pollster from uh, JL Partners. Um, Scarlett, uh, I suppose the key question is, is the strain of Conservatism as John Hayes is laying out there, is that the same place that voters are? Uh, I mean, I think the first place to start is just that there aren't many Conservatives around at all. And that that sounds like a stupid thing to say, but actually that is at the root of their problem. So when you're just getting, you know, 20% in the polls, um, you're, you're going to struggle to form any sort of voting coalition. Now, um, I do think there is something in that, the sort of coalition that Cameron won in 2015, uh, was uh, 2010, 2015, was sort of scrambled by Brexit and now does look um, much harder to put together. Boris Johnson found a way through that in 2019 by winning, you know, three quarters of Leave voters. Rishi Sunak is currently holding on to only 35% of them. And I think where it does make more sense is to think about that Conservative 2019 vote and what they're desperately trying to do is to hang on to as much as that as possible. Now, they've not done a good job of that so far they are losing you know at least half of it um, but they are much more likely when you dig into the data and when you talk to these voters to try and persuade back those who've gone to reform and those who don't know than those who've switched to Labour and gone to Lib Dem so I think that partly explains what they're trying to do uh, but they're still not doing a very good job of it. I was interested actually um, Scott I was looking at some YouGov research that came out I think last week or the week before which showed that the Conservative Party is now seen as as uh, right wing as UKIP was at the time of the 2016 uh, referendum while Keir Starmer's moved he hasn't gone all the way back to sort of Miliband days but it's seen as much less left wing the Labour Party than it was under under Jeremy Corbyn and I suppose is that is it still the case do you think Scarlett that you win you do win from the centre well, I mean, you, you do win from the centre because you have to be able to persuade people who voted for the other party last time to then back you this time. I mean, that, that is sort of on the very basics how how elections are won and lost. I think it is important to say that that British, you know, our idea of a centre ground does shift over time. And you can see that by looking at voters' priorities. So I think, you know, we can see this actually happening in Europe as well. I think there is a degree in truth in saying that that centre ground now might look a bit different to how it looked 20 years ago. And I think it does incorporate elements of sort of what you might think of traditionally left wing and right wing thoughts. So for example, um, you know, a big state, lots of spending on health, etc. But also actually tougher lines on immigration. And we are seeing that rise in voters' priorities. So I think, you know, all these parties are trying to navigate that shifting centre ground and the differing uh, priorities of voters. I think one thing is for sure, though, it's one thing to acknowledge that uh, trend over time to try and change with it and to acknowledge voters changing priorities. What you can't do is change what you're doing every one or two weeks, which I think is where the Conservatives have really come apart over the last few months. Because, you know, we've heard lots of different interesting ideas about what a Conservative is. The government hasn't decided, I don't think, what a Conservative is and isn't making a pitch to it, let alone uh, persuade other people around to it. So, I mean, I think that's actually what's yeah, been yeah. the most damaging. Um, John, isn't ultimately there's a difference, isn't it, between people on the right being increasingly cross, being more cross, and mm. there being more people on the right? Yeah, I think that's true. But let's just examine the facts. So there is a thing in politics called the common ground, and the common ground isn't the centre ground. There is a there is a general consensus around the need to control immigration and to do so very tightly. You know, people are fed up with the idea that we can increase our population in net net terms, in net immigration terms, by 1.4 million in two years. That's unsustainable, is that it? And, it, and people know it's unsustainable. So, so that's a good example of where the common ground is very different to what once was described as the centre ground. People just want the Conservatives to be Conservative. And that's why they voted in 2019. On this polling, 
All we need to do to win is to re-establish the coalition of voters, the voters from 2019. We don't need any more uh, people from the left. We don't need the kind of bourgeois liberal elite that I described. We just need that group to reassemble. And actually, we don't need all of it. We need about 80 or 90% of it to win a majority. So, so that's the mission of the Conservative Party. As I said, described, described before, to lean into that realignment rather than clamour for voters that are never going to vote for us or, 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 or actually trying to appease them. You know, I don't want to appease the people who don't believe in conservatism. I want to, I want to uh, satisfy the people who do. Dominic Grieve, you're smiling. Well, the, the difficulty is, is that the Conservatives since 2019 have delivered extraordinarily bad government. Firstly, they put their faith in a charlatan, uh, a pathological liar, um, who showed by his actions over his period in office that he was completely unfit to lead the country. So that's bound to have dented a public confidence in the Conservative brand. They then followed it up with a prime minister who lasted, I think, 49 days and pursued an economic policy that was ideological and completely reckless and founded in front of the international money markets, which for a Conservative government to achieve is a pretty spectacular own goal. And now Rishi Sunak has the problem of picking up the pieces. And I'm afraid I think that John's just quite it's a fantasy to imagine that the people who voted in 2019 by simply saying we're going to have tough immigration policies are going to come flocking back. They've long ago abandoned the Conservative Party. Many of them hitched to it in 2019 because of Johnson's uh, dishonest promises. And of course, fundamentally in all this, is that Brexit has failed. It has not delivered any of the things that were promised by those who promoted it. It's a most astonishing thing. I cannot think of a single thing it has delivered as promised. And so people are bound to be very disappointed. I fear, actually, you know, we could have the um, we could have anybody leading the Conservative Party at the moment. I, I fear that time is probably up. But what worries me much more for a party of which I was a member for 47 years is that I think that after the next election, if they lose, they're going to carry on into the wilderness rather than coming to their senses. And there is a need for a centre-right party which represents those values which at the start of this discussion, interestingly, John and I were able to share. <laughs> but sadly, I know, we the seem party to have, we seem to have drifted apart. I don't want you to fall out. I don't want you to fall out. Dominic Green, <laughs> the last uh, year, roughly. A former Conservative MP, uh, Sir John Hayes, current Tory MP, and Scarlett Maguire from JL Partners. Thanks very much for joining us on uh, Times Radio. And uh, we kicked off with a slow version of Blue Baba Dee Baba Da, but Helen got in touch and asked for this to play out our feature, What is a Conservative? That's all we've got time for on today's episode. Don't forget to get in touch. You can email me matt at times.radio or tweet at Matt Chorley, as lots of people did yesterday, with lots of views about what Harriet Harman had to say on yesterday's podcast. Always nice to hear from you. Right, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.